Welcome to Trivially Crucial, where we believe every neglected son, minister of magic, weird bit of time travel, and too long in the coming friendship is important and critical to our lives, no matter how unimportant a story may seem. I'm Michael. And I'm Mandy. And we get to talk about Harry Potter again. (laughs) (laughs) Our fourth Harry Potter podcast, probably not our last, because there's a movie coming out in November. That's true, it's true. So, um, Harry Potter and the Cursed Child, parts one and two. Did you say cursed? I probably did, but I don't know. That's a thing I do sometimes when I'm trying to make a point of how I'm saying something, even though it's not how I normally say it. I don't uh, know. It makes me feel like, you know, we're in a church and this is a hymn, the blessed. <laughs> we might as well be. We're talking about Harry Potter. <laughs> and we're going to start this episode off with some strong blaspheming from me. Ah, so. Good times. So, you know, they're, they're, yeah, sure. Let's go with it. Uh, uh, so, yes, Harry Potter and the Cursed Child, a play that we have not seen. Right. But uh, we both read the, uh, what do they call this? The special rehearsal edition script. Yeah, so I, I do wonder what the final actual script is going to, how that different that's going to be. From my understanding, this is a thing that they put out because they wanted to put something out to coincide with its launch. And, you know, the script goes into changes long after they would have been able to make edits for print. Well, I doubt the story overall is going to change that drastically. Yeah, it'll probably be small, specific changes just because, uh, um, you know, for actual wording and so on. Yeah. So um, the this uh, story starts off initially like right after the epilogue uh, from the it's actually book. during the epilogue, right? They there's oh, actually. You're right. The epilogue is rewritten in this play form. Yeah, you're right. It, it basically lines up right there with the epilogue. Um, so before we actually get to the play and its story... Um, oh, oh, wait, wait. There's one other thing that really excited me about this is that I, for a brief period of time, actually had two new Harry Potter books pre-ordered um, for this year. I'm not getting the the book screenplay, the, the screenplay for the movie that they're doing, which is a weird cash grab thing i think because we can all go watch the movie which is yeah the real we can version. own the movie i don't understand yeah. why while the play on the other hand is like well most of us won't get to watch the play so I, yeah i'm not so going to britain sense. anytime soon um but for and even if we were that wouldn't be something we can have at home to revisit uh, right but the thing that excited about me about this is last year they started the um the yearly production of their uh illustrated harry potter books and the uh, Sorcerer's Stone version is amazing. It's beautiful. And so I also have the uh, Chamber of Secrets book two pre-ordered this year. And so for a while, I had both Cursed Child and uh, Chamber of Secrets illustrated on pre-order. And that was just really weird for me to have two Harry Potter books on order at the same time. Yeah, when has that ever happened? Never. Yeah, it's yeah. pretty great. <laughs> so, um, so on that, though, um, before we actually talk about the story of Harry Potter and the Cursed Child... Uh, I don't remember what we both said about how we felt about the epilogue in, um, you know, the final book. So how did you feel about that? Because I think that will probably illustrate or may correlate with how different fans felt about this book in the first place. (laughs) So I liked the epilogue and I feel like the epilogue and this novel, not novel, this play are directly in conflict, not in content, but I thought J.K. Rowling wrote the epilogue for to conclude the entire series and basically say there will be no more stories. You know, 
uh, to be like, the reason why she wrote it, like Harry Potter has never felt Voldemort's presence again. Voldemort has been defeated. We can all rest and sleep. Uh, and so that she could write that epilogue so that a hundred years from now, when, you know, she doesn't have the rights anymore cause she's dead and, uh, <laughs> trademark ends eventually. Right. Uh, oh, hopefully it ends eventually right now. There's still law. Disney's still that. around and continues to extend yeah. copyright because um, Mickey Mouse is a thing. So, but, uh, you know, people couldn't come back and write stories like this one, uh, but uh, I guess that was not J.K. Rowling's intent with the epilogue. So uh, now, if anything, I am confused by the epilogue. <laughs> um, so I'm going to agree with you in that they are in conflict in that sense. But at the same time, I was utterly delighted by, like, I really liked having the epilogue. I really liked just seeing more of the characters, although I liked seeing them happy. So that was a thing <laughs> that is yeah. a little bit in conflict here. Me too. Um, I, I liked seeing them happy. But I had a friend... She literally finished the seventh book this week for the first time. Like, she had never read any Harry Potter, had never watched any Harry Potter, and she has, for the past couple of months, been borrowing my books, uh, essentially two at a time on a rolling basis, and she just finished, and I asked her, I was like, hey, what did you think of the epilogue? And she's like, eh, it was fine, and I unfriended her immediately. But uh, <laughs> Lies. <laughs> <laughs> no, but uh, I, I did... I, I don't know. I For me, it's just the epilogue was an important part to ending the series. Um, and I do like that we got to visit them a, more, a bit more, but really all I wanted to do was have a really lighthearted story that had nothing of consequence in it, because I don't want Harry and them to have any more problems with the Dark Lord and so on, because they've had enough for m many lifetimes. I, you know, I, and, and we're going to talk about this more later, but I, I don't mind additional fun romps, right? Like, I you know, read fan fiction. <laughs> and I, I don't mind stories that are continuations that are of no consequence, right? But, yeah. uh, you know, this is not necessarily intended to be that. Uh, and I guess originally I thought, not because we didn't know what it was about, right? Right. Uh, when they said this book was coming out. The most that I knew that it was about was going to be, they had released the, the pictures of the actors, right? Um, so I knew it was going to have Albus, Scorpius, and Rose. So I'm like, oh, it's like a second generation story. But I didn't necessarily know if Voldemort was going to be back, if Voldemort was going to be the bad guy, you know, or if the bad guy was going to be some new, or if this was just going to be a book of school shenanigans, or if this was good. It's called Harry Potter and the Cursed Child. For all I knew, you know, uh, Albus was actually going to run into some, you know, vampire or something that cursed him <laughs> right. or and the whole book was going to be about getting that curse off of him <laughs> and it could have been some completely unrelated cursed child that he just happens to get involved with because right. you know he is his father's son and therefore gets involved i still in actually question whether uh having read it whether albus is the cursed child but that's besides the point right <laughs> uh yeah so um I also just talking about the name in general, having read it, it's interesting to me that it's called Harry Potter and the Cursed Child, because while Harry Potter is a character, uh, I, I don't know. He's not like the main focus of the story. Uh, see, you say that, but I think that it's still very much a Harry Potter growth, like, growth story. Like it is very much about Harry's growth, just as much as it is about Albus's, I feel like. Um, you know, I, I mean... Really, like, Albus, 
a lot I feel of like his... Albus grows more than Harry does in the story. Well, he, I mean, yeah, he is a child, but like Harry still has some growth that he should have gotten done earlier done in this story, and um, which was a little frustrating to me. But... I agree and disagree, but we haven't talked about Harry yet, so I don't, okay. I don't want to, I don't want to jump the gun uh, on talking about Harry. He's not the character I had the most problem with in the story. No, no, me neither. <laughs> um, uh, yeah. Uh, so I, um, I, I'm kind of wondering if we should step through the plot or if we should talk about it character by character, because the characters are the ones we care about, right? Um, uh, I mean, let's let's talk about kind of the state that we're introduced to everybody in, um, because it contrasts a little bit with the impression we're given from the epilogue. Um, yes. And, uh, so, yeah. like we said, it starts with the epilogue. It's the play version of the epilogue. And uh, it gives a very... So what's interesting is the epilogue is from Harry's perspective in the book, right? So we should know in the novel, like, everything Harry's thinking in the epilogue. Because Harry Potter's always been written in a very close third person to yeah. Harry. Um, but this gives us, uh, you know, when Albus asks, like, whether he's going to be in Slytherin, you know, Harry seems... M- kind of disconcerted and just kind of like uh like he doesn't understand why his son would be worried about this and i'm like harry you were worried about this <laughs> like harry potter who knew nothing going into sorting was worried about slytherin because his friend ron told him slytherin was bad who he had known for all of five minutes so of course the boy who has been raised in wizard society, who knows Slytherin is the home of, you know, the likes of Voldemort is going to be very concerned about being in Slytherin house. Yeah, that was a little bit weird for Harry to be wondering about and, you know, unclear on. Uh, I mean, he was raised by a hero in Gryffindor, you know, from Gryffindor. and, and so Both on. of his parents are Gryffindors. Yeah, and all the Weasleys his, have been Gryffindors. Yeah, his entire mom's family is uh, or Gryffindor. His father's family is Gryffindors. Yeah, uh, James and Lily were both Gryffindor, right? Yeah. So I I don't know like that's a like that's like the kid who applies to Yale and is the legacy kid who's worried about not getting accepted because their whole family's gone to Yale, right? Yeah. Like that's a legitimate worry. Now, granted, legacies generally have an easier time getting in to American colleges. But that's neither here nor there. They still worry about it, right? Yeah, so, it, it, it's a bit like Harry Harry being so invested in wanting to change how people look at Slytherin because of his newfound respect for Snape that he just kind of becomes dumb about where that discomfort comes from, which is yeah. weird. Um, yeah, yeah, it could be that. It, it could be, you know... I I honestly don't know. It's 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 interesting to read a story that's not from Harry's close perspective, right? Yeah. Um, and uh, it's not from anyone's close perspective because it's a play. So right. all we know is what people are saying and then what the italics saying people might be feeling on occasion as stage directions, right? Right. So it, it's kind of hard to read how they would have played it. Uh, but yeah, I, I mean, Harry literally says, strange, Al being worried he'll be sorted into Slytherin. And it's like, I, I did, I wondered, see, it sounds like you're reading that as if Slytherin's been redeemed. Why would he be worried about it? Whereas I read it more as Harry thinking like, of course my kid's not going to be Slytherin, uh, which doesn't make any sense either. Oh no, I was, I, yeah, I guess we were different, definitely having different reads on that. That's, that's interesting actually. Huh. 
I, I didn't even think about the opportunity for us to be reading that two different ways. That's the thing uh, with a play, right? Yeah. Okay, uh, well. <laughs> yeah, and so it's definitely interesting. And so here early we're introduced to all the same characters we're introduced in the epilogue, right? The, yeah. the second generation kids. Though interestingly, James is not as much in this book as I thought he might be. <laughs> right. Uh, which, which is just interesting. Uh, yeah, I mean, I suppose that would be a little uh, almost on the nose for allowing him to detract from Albus's story because Albus is already so concerned with that. So, yeah, um. and I mean, they're in different houses, so I, I, it would be different. I just, you know, Fred and George were always around, right? right? Even though they were two years older, they didn't necessarily always directly impact the story, but they were always there because they're in Gryffindor house. They're Ron's older siblings. You know, and as someone who has older siblings, uh, or siblings, like you have a younger brother, you know, like yeah. you 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 don't get rid of them at school. No, no, <laughs> you don't. They're there, uh, and so you know, sometimes I would read other books that would pretend like you know your siblings aren't at school, even though they are. And I always really appreciated about Harry Potter that the si- older Weasley siblings were always a presence, whether they were at school or not. Right, that affected Ron. Jenny was always there. Fred and George were always there. Percy was there. Uh, Whereas in this one, James and even um, Lily, who should be there by the time we get to the later part of the story, uh, because years pass, are not really in the story at all. Yeah. Which makes sense once the time traveling starts to happen. But yes, the time travel. So uh, this book is. um, It takes a bunch of different elements from the Harry Potter series and kind of sprinkles them around. Uh, there are, the healthy dose of Back to the Future. Yes. Well, I, yeah. The, I mean, the time travel is definitely odd. Um, it is. I, it's a little bit less coherent than uh, than it was in. Um, well, which uh, book three? I'm. Uh, it's uh, the Prisoner of Azkaban. There you go, Prisoner of Azkaban. I feel like it's less coherent time travel, but yes. Um, uh, yeah. Well, they can go back in time further, um, but for less superior time. But I guess the Time Turner was turned up in some sort of dark magic raid. And well, so they have a couple of time turners, right? On on hand? No, oh, there's wait, only no, the one, right? There's All the time the turners time, have been destroyed uh, because of reasons. I, I, I don't know. Um, I don't remember what reason they said, but uh, it had something to do with basically not wanting people to go back to the Battle of Hogwarts and change things and blah, blah, blah. Uh, but there's always been this rumor that there is one time turner still around. And apparently that rumor has centered on the Malfoy family. Right. Uh, and there's this rumor that Draco is not really the father of Scorpius that Voldemort is, which there's a couple of interesting things. I, I just about this setup for the Malfoy family. One, where are the Malfoy parents? (laughs) Are they dead? Uh, Uh, the, uh, I think they mentioned that his father is in Azkaban. Um, maybe. Uh, I don't necessarily remember. I mean, I guess I'd have to go back and look. Once again, it's been a couple weeks since we read this. Um, but uh, his mother would, which I guess she might be in Azkaban too, if the father is. I mean, they both were. That's a good point. Yeah, I don't actually know where. But they they kind of abandoned Voldemort before the Battle of Hogwarts, right? So I, I feel like that would give them some sort of. Uh, something but i i don't don't know um so they're not around draco married some girl that we don't know from the books right which i think is an interesting choice that maybe she was younger than them and we just don't you know know her which is 
possible. Um, or maybe she was a homeschooled witch. I guess there are those. <laughs> yeah. You probably don't have to go to Hogwarts. Uh, but uh, Astoria is well, yeah, very sick. We know, a lot, we know that there are a lot more wizards than potential Hogwarts students, I feel like. I mean, Well, I feel like the thing about why there were so few kids at Hogwarts with Harry is because this was the generation that was the children of the people who fought Voldemort. And so a lot of those people died. Maybe so they so. didn't have kids. So I felt like it was an especially small uh, year. But that could just be me reading things into it, uh, which I tend to do with Harry Potter. <laughs> um, but uh, so Scorpius is Draco's son. Uh, his mother is dead. She had some sort of blood curse wasting. Can, can I just go ahead and say that Scorpius is wonderful? I love Scorpius. Scor- Scorpius is like probably one of the best as like a person characters in the entire series. I feel Scorpius like. was the best thing this book gave us. Scor- I, I mean, and I'm really glad that they gave us a Slytherin that we could really just love like without reservation because it's about time. <laughs> well, and I kind of think Scorpius is the kid who chose Slytherin because his family is Slytherin. Yeah. But whether he Scorpius is kind of Hufflepuffy. He is the rare Slitherpuff. I feel like, but he's yeah. also a little Ravenclaw because he likes, you know, to learn. <laughs> well, yeah, and, and it's again, that simplistic thing. Like there's this really funny tweet out there that says something like, uh, you know, Hogwarts, uh, Hogwarts founder, as we all know, there are exactly four types of children, smart, <laughs> courageous, uh, uh, was it smart, courageous, friendly, and evil. <laughs> and then the response is yes go on <laughs> like, so <laughs> yeah it's true the the sorting is rather simplistic it, it's uh, super and, simplistic people have multiple facets and you know and i think there's a lot to be said in a school where your family went you're going to want to be in the same house as your family right yeah uh, but albus has got this i and i think there's something to be said for albus ending up in slytherin as a middle child myself uh that's the exact kind of thing we would do <laughs> Yeah. Uh, unconsciously maybe uh but you know you want you don't you want to be different from your older siblings and you know he's an angst albus is a textbook angsty middle child uh so it makes complete sense to me that he would end up in slytherin and you know whether he's ambitious or not but just because that's where he like knows that's as opposite from where his father was as he can get well, and there is some slytherin in him because i mean There's you know they're hairy yeah, they're Slytherin and Harry, so like it, he is his father's son for sure. Uh, a lot of the problems he gets into are, you know, character traits that we can definitely see in Harry as well. So yeah, I mean it's the it's the issue of living up to your father. Though I do think it's interesting. Uh, going back to James, uh, I think this is interesting. This is Albus's story with the I. I feel like it's not the middle children who usually struggle with living up to their parents. Uh, and this is me as a middle child saying this, you know, I, I feel like the middle children are generally trying to live up to their older siblings. And I feel like it's the older siblings who are trying to live up to the parents. So to me, that was a little strange because I feel like it should have been James who struggles with his father's legacy, especially having been named after his grandfather he never met. And it should be Albus struggling to differentiate himself from James, the quote unquote, you know, perfect older sibling or whatever. Um, I mean, that that was, you know, 
Ron struggled about differentiating himself from his older siblings. I mean, that's a textbook psychological thing, right? That middle children are trying to differentiate themselves from their siblings, differentiate themselves from the pack, but not necessarily their parents' legacy. Uh, That's usually more of an older child story. So I found that an interesting choice. Yeah, I'm not saying middle children can't. Right, right. I mean, because you, you, there are obviously like we do have the stories where the uh, you know the older kid is the golden child and and so on, and actually doesn't really have some of those issues. Although they generally don't have the super famous parent like Harry does, or like Harry. But, but sometimes uh, the older yeah. child is the golden child because they're trying to live up to the parents' yeah, legacy. Yeah, that's true. Um, well, and then there is the also the impression that you know we get, and this is a big part of the relationship between Albus and and Harry is Harry is making all kinds of mistakes left and right in his. Uh, in his upbringing of Albus. But at the same time, one thing that Albus isn't giving him credit for is like, no, Harry loves you. Like, Harry doesn't need you to prove yourself in these ways, you know? Yeah, and, and that- in a lot of ways. And so, like, it's very possible that 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 Harry's able to diminish that aspect for James, where he's, like, made it clear and James is willing to buy it that, like, hey, like, it's fine. You know, you're cool. <laughs> and, and for whatever reason, that's not getting across to Albus. Well, I, I think... You know, I, I saw people after I read it critiquing that Harry is a bad father or whatever. Uh, and I didn't read it as Harry being a bad father. You know, there, there's something to be said for the parents have an easier time with the children who are more like them. Yes. And I feel like James is more like, from what little we see of him, it, he's more like Harry and in his interests, right? His interests are... Uh, you know, Quidditch and, you know, because Harry is kind of, you know, a jock. He's a little bit of a jock. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and uh, Albus is not. And uh, so Harry struggles with that a little bit because he's unsure of how to talk to Albus. And it's not because Harry is a bad father. It's because all your kids are different. Um, granted, yeah. I say this as someone who doesn't have kids, but uh, going to the, you know, standard bad parenting example of even, you know, Odin, Thor, and Loki, right? I'm not (laughs) saying Odin didn't make mistakes with Loki. I'm saying Odin had an easier time talking to Thor because Thor is like Odin. Yeah. And, and I mean, you, you know, we've seen this in other stories. We've seen this in people's real lives. Like if you can relate to somebody, it's easier to communicate with them. And it's way easier to to relate to somebody who is a lot like you (laughs) because that takes a lot less stretching. And, and so the worst aspects like Harry's, not great at dealing with conflict and never has been great at it. He's not horrible, but he's not great at it. It's like, that's going to come out more if you're sitting there and having a hard time understanding the person you're talking to. Yeah. Harry's never been the best at navigating relationships. Like, you know, with Hermione and Ron, I mean, him and Ron spend most of the fourth book just angry at each other. Uh, I would say Harry never truly understands Hermione ever. It's just because Hermione, uh, is doing a lot of the emotional labor in their relationship that their relationship manages to go along generally unbumpy. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, and she, he's had like the shouting arguments with both of them. Yes. You know? And, yeah. <laughs> I mean, communicate. He, he was raised in an abusive family. He does not have the communication skills or ability to mitigate conflict that people raised in normal families would have. Like how did the Dursleys deal with him? They just shoved him in a closet and or yelled at him. Like he doesn't know how to navigate family conflicts. That's why Jenny is better at it. Jenny comes from a ginormous family. Yep. That's Uh, why Ron's better at it than Hermione. Right? Like uh, they come from a big family where you have to know how to mitigate conflict. Uh, on the flip side, um, 
we have, you know, Albus as well. He, uh, I mean, he's a child, so there is that. Uh, and children uh, are, you know, allowed to learn. <laughs> yeah, they're absolutely. And you can see, though, uh, a lot of the stuff that he does is the same. I mean, we see this within adults all the time, where it's once they've made up their mind about what somebody else thinks, that's like they won't really engage in the conversation. Um, I mean, I've seen this with kids. I've seen this with adults. It's much more frustrating with adults um, because they should have had the time to learn. But um, yeah, I mean, you see some of that come out and his feelings of neglect are genuine, you know, the, and it's just that they exhibit in really unfortunate ways when it comes to how he and his father deal with each other. So, yep. Uh, yep. I mean, and really what it comes down to, I guess, is that this story is about their relationship more than anything. Um, but yeah. And, so, and I think there's something to be said that, you know, Harry didn't have good parents. He, he didn't because he didn't have parents. And then on the other token, we have Draco and Scorpius. And, you know, I think Draco is a really good father to Scorpius. Yes, he doesn't always he, understand him. Uh, but, but he gets that he doesn't understand him, which yeah, is but But great. Draco's father, Draco also felt like his father didn't understand him. And his father forced him to do evil things Draco didn't want to do. So Draco's trying to be a better father than his father was. And, you know, if I got anything from the story, it's that Draco truly deeply loves his son. Absolutely. Uh, And that is, I mean, we're skipping a little bit here, but at the end, and I think this is good to keep in mind, is Draco really, he sets the tone, and I I have it written down somewhere, but I don't know where that notebook is. Um, But he has a line to, to Harry where he says something along the lines of, you know, in the end, the mistakes we've both made is that we were we were providing for our sons what we needed, not what they needed. Yeah. You know? And I think that that's a really big, like, it, you know, that's really poignant. And I think it speaks a lot of Draco. And uh, it's about time to see Harry and Draco talking to each other, which was my imagination, the way, the way it went in the epilogue when I read it, you know, in that seventh book was very much, hey, okay, I really wish that Harry and... um and Draco would go ahead and bury the hatchet because they should be better than this by now. But maybe their sons can be friends instead to make it up for them. And I'm kind of really glad that that happened that way, you know? Um, well, you know, and, I, and I've had a lot of discussions with people that that is the number one Harry Potter second generation fanfic trope, right? That Albus and Scorpius are best friends and or boyfriends. And, uh, it, is, <laughs> and it is absolutely okay for that trope to be carried through because... Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, because w- and in the end, the only reason to continue the Harry Potter story to some degree or another is for us, like for the fans. I, I mean, because otherwise it was a complete story and you should be done with it, you know? And, and so it's good to actually do that for the fans. Discussions we can have at the end of this okay. podcast. All right. We can keep uh, so while we're talking about Albus and Scorpius and their great, awesome relationship, and I know this is kind of skipping around because whatever. That's okay. The plot. Uh, there are a lot of points in this story where we realize the most important thing in Scorpius's life is Albus. Yes. Uh, I have feelings about that. <laughs> um, I mean, there's a couple of times where they're like, think about your happy thought. And his happy thought is Albus. Um, I'm just going to say it. This is very gay. Uh, and I don't mean that in a bad way. <laughs> uh, and the story 
was unwilling to go there. And they, they, had, they had to throw Rose in there and Scorpius with this weird infatuation with Rose that goes nowhere. Uh, and I don't, I don't know why the story wasn't willing to go there. I mean, I, I don't really feel like assigning anything in particular to it. I, for me, like, it could be, but also Scorpius has probably had a pretty terrible life despite his father loving him because, you know, his mom died. All these rumors have been, you know, just like going around him. I'm, he really doesn't have any other friends. And I so just, it's possible that his only positive thoughts are around his friendship with Albus because, hey, here's sure. a person who actually likes me. And I'm not going to diminish that guys can't be friends. I, I think the issue here to me is that Harry Potter has always given us a great example of male friendship uh, in Harry and Ron, even when they were angsty and angry at each other. Um, and, you know, there's always been this whole, I, I guess to me, this was a chance for J.K. Rowling to rectify the Albus Dumbledore, not Albus Potter uh, issue, which is that you know, he's he's gay, but not actually stated in the story. Right. He's and, more asexual in the story. Right. Uh, other than his thing with Grindelwald, which you could read into that what you will. If she hadn't come out and said from the outside, it's extra story at that point, right? Um, that she says he's gay. And she she's tried to add a lot of, like, retcon representation into the story that's not there. It'd been like, oh yeah, there are Jewish characters at Hogwarts. There are characters like this at Hogwarts. But we don't see those in any of the stories. And this is a new story. It's a new opportunity. And you know, maybe it's just partly what I want to see, because, you know, living in fanfic land, you know, yeah. number one trope. Number one. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, you know, they have these strong feelings about each other. Rose was an inconsequential character uh, that didn't even need to be mentioned. Uh, she has no effect on the plot and very little effect on Scorpius. Uh, so I feel like they added her just to be like no homo, which is, you know, the same thing as Sharon Carter's kiss in Captain America. Uh, and, you know, they could have not had her and then the story could have gone either way. Right. And you could, it didn't have to be stated. You could just be like, Oh, it's either way up to your imagination. Uh, Cause they're in like fourth year. Right. So maybe they don't know what they are and that's, that's okay. Cause they're like, so you just hit on what, uh, what I was going to say is that honestly, like they're so young that you could just not know. Um, so I don't think it's really explicitly stated, you know, kind of, and I think maybe that ambiguity is, you know, worth inserting. Cause she can always say what, the canonical truth is afterwards if she wants. But she can say, but it doesn't make it real. Well, um, but then there's also the fact that um, if you think about the, I, I would argue with Rose having no impact on things because um, his Scorpius is like at the very end, Scorpius is basically there's the, so there's a chance kind of like the way he says it just, I think it really speaks to Scorpius's general optimism and, and his persistence, which is a, an important part of his character. Um, regardless of whether, you know, that ends up being a thing that he pursues or decides isn't actually something he wants to pursue in the long term. Um, I think it does, it, it adds just a little bit more color to his character in terms of it's one of multiple things where he's like, no, things are going to be fine. We're going to do the right thing, you know, or, or like we're going to, you know, even if I'm not getting what I want, it's going to be fine. There's a chance later. Because um, that's a thing that he has that not really any other main character of the main characters in the entire series have had, you know, um, pretty much every other character, whether it's Albus and this or the, you know, any of the big three in the 
previous series, like they've all gotten, they all tend to get really, really down about things when things are pretty crappy. And Scorpius tends to be much more optimistic and positive. And it was, I, they colored or they kind of depict that in a lot of ways. And Rose is one of them. Um, so I don't know. So I did appreciate that aspect of it, even if, yeah, they're so young that who knows? I mean, you know, he could just, he could come to the realization later on. Um, but, uh, yeah. Um, anyways, though, Scorpius still is wonderful regardless. I do um, love Scorpius. He's the best he's thing so, about the story. He, he is definitely the best thing about the story. He's so good. All right. Um, so speaking of awkward sexual relationships, Albus and what's her face? Voldemort's oh, that is daughter. so weird. Um, it is so weird. I can't even imagine seeing that on stage because she's got to be played by a 20 something. Right. Whereas Albus is played by a teenager. But it's uh, supposed to be awkward. Like it, it feels awkward to us. And I think it's written to feel awkward. I just. Because no. <laughs> think about. So, you know, I as, as a guy, I, I grew up in and I've never. I've never really struggled with the traditional views of masculinity that a lot of guys struggle with. I guess I've been lucky to have a healthier view of that as I've grown up, but I've seen people struggle with it. And I've seen the, like the bro fives and the, the way that other boys have talked about older women and stuff like that. And I can totally see kids that age, not thinking anything is weird about him I guess you know, it's just the difference in how girls and boys are raised. Because yeah, it, to me, if an older guy, that much older than me, or for me, any age older than me, but that much older at that time when I was in high school uh, or middle school, uh, started hitting on me, I would be immediately suspicious. I would be creeped out and I would report it. And I think you would be right to be. And I would also think that in this case, a guy would be right to be as well, but that's not how our society or I expect British society is set up. I like, you know, it, it think about the way that um, when you find out that a like in the news, we get the, you know, the terrible news that a high school teacher has been doing something with a student. Think about the cultural, the cultural reaction. Like, yes, adults who are, you know, reasonable are kind of appalled either way, whether it's a male teacher and a female um, student or vice versa. But each time it does happen where it's a female teacher and a male student, you can go and see in the, in the terrible places on the internet where people are like, oh man, that, that guy deserves a high five. Like, cause he right. got with a, you know, with his hot teacher and it's, it's a terrible thing and it's gross, but that is very much, at, you know, the way that the students themselves, that many, many boys themselves, just because of the way that Western society works would view it, they would not view it the way that you and I do, or that many adults do reading it. Like, you know, it, it so. I, so I guess that, I just expected. It, it rubs me the wrong way, but I think it's supposed to. I, I'm not surprised Albus falls for her. I, I guess I'm a little more surprised that Scorpius being as, uh, uh, there's a word for this that I'm missing as whatever. He's very like in touch with the world. He's very learned. Uh, and curious and interested that he would find it more suspicious. He does eventually, right? Um, but uh, yeah, maybe guys just don't look out for each other like girls do. Well, and that's the thing is, I I don't think it would be weird if he did look at it in what we deem an appropriate way and being like kind of weirded out initially. But it also doesn't surprise me. Like I, I think it is... Well, it is realistic to have someone who is otherwise kind of pretty clear-headed on this sort of thing 
to make that mistake of maybe giving it a pass for longer than he should. Like I, I could see it going either way and being believable for me. Um, I still don't like it, but I, you know, I accepted it as like, ugh, that's, and there's also the fact that he has all this weight where Albus is like the one positive thing in his life. So, so it's like, you know, there's that resistance to, you can argue down discomfort in your head sometimes if you're really desperate for it not to be there because you know it's going to cause tension. So, um, so I could see that being at play as well, especially since we're not doing the close third person where we're inside his head and, and so on. Um, also Delphi, that's her name. Yes. Delphi. Uh, I don't like to think about Voldemort uh, copulating with anyone. <laughs> no, that's so gross. And I kind of question that his regenerated body would even be able to do that because it has to be his regenerated body. Right. Uh, and I, it, it, it's, it's just disturbing on so many levels. And I'm just not sure I believe it. Um, yeah. Yeah. That's that's. Yeah, that's all I got. Uh, it's I don't want to talk about it more. <laughs> uh, yeah, so Delphi is Voldemort's daughter, and yeah, uh, she yeah. wants to bring a Voldemort to power because she's his daughter. Yeah, and who um, was she raised by? Who did she say raised her? Mm, that's a great question. I, I would remember this know. if we had just read it. Uh, I'm not sure. Because wow. Bellatrix Lestrange is dead. Uh, yeah. And Voldemort is dead. Uh, but I, I don't know who she was raised by. But obviously it was someone who respected Voldemort and would raise her to think her birth is... Was it like her aunt thing. or something? So who, who Bellatrix Lestrange's sisters are like... Yeah. Not they're they're like um Malfoy. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> Anyways. Yeah, so uh, yeah, time travel shenanigans are in this book. Uh so basically Delphi tries to convince Albus and Scorpia she is Cedric's cousin. And has more people than just them convinced. Too. Oh yeah, I she mean, is Harry convinced. She yeah, she has several people, like apparently she's been around for, for long a while. Enough. Yeah. And has confounded, uh, and maybe that was her plan from the get-go, is to use this as an opening when she can. Um, which is seems like a really poorly thought-out plan, because it requires a whole lot of luck. But, you know. Um, anyways. <laughs> yeah, and uh, so with this time-turner that was gotten from this random person who is unimportant to the story, uh, they get it, they steal it from Hermione's office. Which turns into this really weird the mm, yeah the the scene with the um the what's it called the polyjuice potion yeah is awkward super awkward awkward uh, there's kissing uh, there's kissing between people who are not actually together yes who, people one of them who are together. children and adults uh yeah. yeah is it Scorpius who's Scorpius kisses Hermione yeah yeah, yeah. it's weird it's it's weird. I mean, uh, I guess it's better than Albus. It's better than Albus? Yes. <laughs> no, 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 no. It's, it's, it is. Is it Albus? It, it is Albus. Albus is Ron. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh. Scorpius yeah, is Yeah, you're right. So, so Albus because kisses. Because Albus didn't want to be his dad. Albus kisses his aunt on the mouth. <sighs> it's so weird. At least they're and not And says he related. wants to have another baby. Uh, oh, it's so. 
is so awkward, and I was I was squirming, feeling awkward. But uh, you know, that's fun, I guess. Uh, you know, you know, they had a fun time writing that. Sure. <laughs> mm. Anyways. Uh, so yeah, Hermione has all of these things in place to hide the time turner and they solve it and they steal the time turner and they go back in time to mess up the first Triwizard tournament thing. So basically to try to knock Cedric out of the running so he can't be there during the third one with Harry to win, um, which is they mess up his, wait, what's the first, the first one is the dragon, um, and I don't remember what they do to him specifically because that one wasn't too traumatizing. Uh, but in the second one, they go back in time and they mess with him in the water one and they embarrass him. And I need to talk about this. <laughs> okay. So the first thing they did was actually disarm Cedric uh, against the dragon. So really. Uh, and that, so that causes a timeline that is slightly different um, in that Voldemort is not ruling the world. Uh, but, uh, uh, let's see, uh, Hermione and Ron never got together. Right, Hermione because... is a teacher at Hogwarts and, oh, because they distrust, um, yes, because they because think it was them. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, so my biggest problem with this story was not the straight vanilla Scorpius Albus story. It was the time travel and how it affected the world. And to me, it showed that the writers who I believe were not JK Rowling, but these other, I think she gave them the overall story. And then these two wrote the play. They have a fundamental misunderstanding of the characters of Harry Potter. Okay. So describe your, uh, I I do not object to what you just said, but describe, like, tell me what makes you feel that way. So Harry, Hermione and Ron do not get together, which, okay, sure. I'll buy it. Even if the rationale is very, weird it's just that yeah the, the idea that if they didn't have uh crumb to make make him jealous to make ron jealous then they would have yeah. never gotten together which is i, I don't really buy that yeah but um regardless let's say i buy that and let's say hermione and ron never get together hermione alone is ruthless hermione alone has is willing to you know uh take away her parents memories She's basically willing to free house elves against their will. She's basically willing to do all all sorts of like Hermione alone is ruthless. Let's just say that she, she, she does what she thinks is best regardless of whether it is best or not. And Ron is the moral compass in many ways of the group. Right. Uh, A lot of the time. Yes. (laughs) But Hermione alone is not mean she intentionally uh and i do not believe that hermione alone would become a washed up hogwarts teacher right uh this says a lot of disturbing things that the writers think about women i think uh and hermione uh so like if the love of my life doesn't marry me i'm i'm gonna become snape that's what it's saying yeah. Uh, but less brave than Snape, <laughs> you know, at, at least Snape, even in his awfulness, had a purpose, right? Uh, his awfulness was used to some greater purpose. Hermione's awfulness as a teacher who's just mean to students, a woman who was friends with Neville, mind you, uh, is just mean to them. Yeah, it, it, it makes her character hinge on Ron, and that's not cool. No, and it doesn't make sense. Hermione alone would rule the world. 
because she she would become minister of magic and she would be ruthless. Yeah, I feel uh, like she would be more likely to become minister of magic if she were alone. Not I agree. Less. I agree. And to me, that just shows they fundamentally misunderstand who Hermione is. Either that or they were just really trying to stretch to create some sort of Snape parallel. But if anyone was likely to become Snape, it was not Hermione. It is, in fact, Harry. Harry and Snape yes, have Harry the same story. Harry is the story. most likely Snape analog, yes. for sure. Uh, um, Harry yeah, and without Snape, his friends, that's totally what he would do. Yeah. Like, yeah, absolutely. Harry and Snape have the same story, but made different choices. Like... That, that's what it boils down to. Hermione without Hermione could have chosen to leave the wizard world and go become a dentist like her parents. Oh, and, and also, <laughs> um, Harry and Ginny getting together, if I feel like that would not happen if Hermione and Ron didn't get together. Like, I feel like one theirs is the secondary relationship as far as those get, just because of how much time they all spend together. Yeah. I, it just doesn't, you know, Harry would be a different character if not for Hermione's friendship. And her, I, I mean, it just feels like Hermione is a big part of how Harry and Ginny got together. And, so, yeah, and I, Harry I and Hermione would still be friends if Ron and Hermione didn't get together. And I yeah. do not believe that Harry would allow Hermione to become this way. The thing about Snape was he was completely alone. Like, without Lily, he had no one. He had no friends who weren't Death Eaters, right? Which is right. why he got pulled to the Death Eater crowd. Hermione still has Harry. Yeah, I, no, absolutely. I, I just don't buy this at all. And we've all. seen multiple times where Harry maintained the friendship with both, you know, with both of the other two when they weren't talking to each other. Yeah, it was hard, but he still did it because they're both equally important to him. Yes, so unless now, if they had said Hermione never became friends with Harry and Ron ever, like if this was like the first year, you know, and they offset that, I might believe that because without Harry and Ron, I'm not sure Hermione would have felt a as friends. I'm not talking romantic. Romantic to me is right. inconsequential. I'm not sure Hermione would have felt empowered to the level she was because without them as friends, she was kind of this awkward, weird girl. Right. Yeah. Who was made um, fun of and would be made fun of and right. by her. So without them, I might buy this, but the romantic part of it ha component has n nothing to do with it to me. Yeah, no, I agree. So that is problematic. Uh, time travel thing. Number one. So, yes. <laughs> um, yeah. So, uh, yeah, that they, so that's because Cedric messed up crumb dating Hermione. So they're like, oh no, we need to, not only did we not save Cedric, Albus and Scorpius are thinking, uh, we messed everything up. So instead of going back to, you know, fix what they did before, they're like, let's just try again. Yeah. I don't know how trying again is going to get Harry and Ron back together. I mean, Ron and <laughs> Hermione back together uh, in their minds. But so they go back to the second uh, try with I, mean, I basically just take that they're stupid little kids. Is yeah, kind of they, right. they're not they thinking are 14. Also, no one in any of these stories, whether it's a zombie story, a time travel story, whatever, none of them have ever read comic books. Yeah, or, they've, like, they've never seen Back to the Future. Either. Yeah, like guys, I, I, that is one of my most the most frustrating things for me in like any sort of fiction is when someone in a story is faced with a very common story trope, and they're clearly just completely unfamiliar with the trope. Is like, guys, come on, read a book. <laughs> like, yeah, uh, read a book, watch a movie. 
Come on, you, you understand how time travel works. Like, I'm pretty sure that if we made mistakes in time travel, it would be very different from the ones we've read other people make because we would have a false understanding based on the things we've read rather than just no clue at all. Right. Anyways, so yeah. going to second second jump. They, uh, they mess up uh, Cedric's charm and basically embarrass him in front of everybody. Right. Uh, and then they go back to the future and Voldemort won. Why did Voldemort win? Uh, didn't I think they say that Cedric actually joins the dark, uh, joins them because yes. of like the, yeah. Cedric so. got embarrassed, so he became a Death Eater, which is just absolutely ridiculous and undermines. How much Cedric do I not believe this? <laughs> pretty much everyone else who looked up to to Cedric, it's like no. Cedric that's, is supposed to be the best of us. Like that's why his death is so tragic, right? Because yeah, he's, he's a genuine, like, he would be a hero if he hadn't died in the fourth year, you know? Or there, fifth, there is no planet on which getting embarrassed in front of the school makes you become a Death Eater. Not when you've been raised by Cedric's father. Not when you've been raised in Cedric's environment. Not, no, th- there's no reality where that happens. Might he oppose Harry but still be on the right side? Sure, that happens all the time, right? Not everyone who's on the same side supports the quote-unquote hero, right? But that doesn't right. mean they join the villain. Yeah, that that was absolutely silly. Um, yeah, I, so agree. <laughs> it's it's um, it's slander to Cedric Diggory's name, and I know he's a fictional character, but that offends me. <laughs> well, as a Hufflepuff, it offends me as well. I mean, so. I just feel like so much. I mean, we we t- we have a whole podcast just about the fourth book. We have a yes. whole podcast just devoted to the fourth book and how Cedric changed everything. Uh, and, uh, I, you know, that book came out when I was 14 and you were like 15. That book is instrumental to our childhoods and Cedric Diggory is instrumental to that. And it is offensive. <laughs> yep, I agree. I, and that's I think and, you know, we're going to keep going. But I think that's one of the is these changed worlds that they wanted to depict I feel like they should have it feels like what they did was decide they wanted to have some weird world worlds and it's like, all right, well, what are the simple things are going to change now? What is the what can we decide this will how how this will change the world and instead of like coming up with we want to have a world in which, you know, Voldemort won. So let's work backwards from there and figure out what change would actually make sense to, to cause that to happen, you know, yeah. and um, and I think part of it is that really none of the changes that Scorpius and Albus would make would do this. That, I like, mean, and that's my problem. That's why I think it's a, <laughs> it's simplistic. It's a fundamental misunderstanding of the characters. It, it It's a fundamental un- misunderstanding of cause and effect. Like, uh, you know, in the complexities of the politics of the world that they're in. Too. Yes. Like, yeah. You know, in back to the future, it makes sense, right? It's not just that, you know, Biff, that, that, uh, the main character changed something and Biff was able to do this or that. It's that Biff got something from the future and was able to predict the future and got rich. Right. Yeah. Like it, it's, it's, you gave him the tools he needed. Right. Like there, there are complexities in back to the future, but there's also simplicities, right? Changing his parents, relationship initially changes very little, you know, like, it, cause it's so super focused on one person. They're trying to say you can change one person slightly and it changes the whole world to a scale that makes no sense. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I, I do. The one thing I do like about that bad Cedric Diggory timeline, I don't like the fact that it made him the one who kills Neville Longbottom because that's ridiculous. Yeah. But uh, but they do go and it basically 
points out how important Neville was to things because, you know, Neville kills Nagini and therefore Voldemort couldn't have died otherwise. So it also gives us an interesting future where Snape is still alive. Um, Yes. And I love, I love how they did that. Yeah. Um, And uh, Albus is not there, right? Because Harry is dead. Um, So it's just Scorpius and uh, no one trusts him because Scorpius is like the scion of the house Malfoy. Yeah. He's Um, like basically worth, he is, he puts out what, um, shoot, what, uh, what Lucius Malfoy would have wanted his son to be. Yes. Like, yeah, it it was like, he is worse than the worst that, that, uh, he is worse than Draco ever was. Uh, and so he, he has to convince Snape and they takes him to Hermione and Ron who aren't together, but are fighting, which also I just don't buy. (laughs) Yeah. It's like, if they're, if they've been fighting like this, they would totally be, be, be together. They've been freedom fighting side by side in a hell hole for like 19 years or whatever it is. And they're not together. Please. I'm also a major Hermione Ron chipper in case, you know, listeners haven't figured that I, out. I am as well. Uh, I, I know so many people wanted uh, Harry Hermione, but I'm very, I don't know. I, I was always Harry Luna. I don't mind Jenny, um, but I, Hermione and Ron was uh, in I was satisfied for- with the relationships we were given. And yeah. just, so, um, but you know, in this, my favorite part about this though, is really the kind of how much with Dumbledore gone, with everybody gone, how like Snape is you know, significant here. Yes. And, and just the way his character is like when he goes and in the conversation with Scorpius, he says something along the lines, like at some point this cause became my own, Mm -hmm. you know? And I really, really love that about him. I love the conversation that he has, like clearly in the years since Harry's death, he has warmed towards Harry, you know? And he's, and he tells Albus, like he asks Scorpius to tell Albus he's proud of that, to have him named after him you know, or to have his middle yeah. name named after him. And that's pretty amazing. Like to get that warmth from Snape is just really well, great. Well, I mean, I think, and this is, you, you see Snape, that they do understand Snape. You see Snape com- becoming this based on the sixth and seventh books, right? Like right. when Snape realizes Dumbledore intends to kill Harry, Snape is appalled, right? Like not yeah. that Dumbledore is going to kill Harry himself, but, but that the, the intent is that for Harry to die. Uh, he's appalled. Like, not that Snape's ever been a great... Not that he likes Harry. Yeah. But. <laughs> but he's like, we've been protecting this kid. You've been invested in him. You've been raising him for what? For his death? Uh, and, and I think uh, this is a world where that death came about and it didn't work. And I think that makes Snape even more appalled. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but uh, he doesn't like Voldemort, but he's using his... Uh, inside against him his inside game and uh i i do see snape uh being like this it it makes me think of too what the world um what it would look like in a in a world that is you know the standard seven harry potter books where snape didn't have to die in the process and so snape survived like i can totally imagine him warming up a little to harry especially if he witnessed harry's initial death um or if you went into a thing where harry died for good in the fight, but they won, you know, um, and Snape survived that like, that would be, it really does, you know, lend itself to, yes, Snape was a hero and we already know that, but he would have, uh, it's just really like the man has a lot more to him than we ever got to see. And I really like how well this depicted him. So yeah, he was given a great, 
great scene here. Yep. Um, uh, so they send, uh, they all go, the Snape and Scorpius go back in time together. Yeah. Uh, to stop the first thing, um, which is, uh, them disarming Cedric. Uh, and they, uh, do manage to do it. Right. Uh, yeah. but, uh, that may causes everyone else to disappear. Scorpius goes back to the future. Everyone's okay and alive. And Delphi is like, wait, what was the future like? And then they discover Delphi is evil. Yep. <laughs> uh, and she wants to go about and create that world again. But then uh, she ends up, the time turner breaks or something and she ends up with it. Um, and somehow they all get back to like, I don't know, 1980. Yeah, 1980. <laughs> One? 1981? Uh, yeah. There, there's also this thing with... and Albus are stuck in... Oh, I think it's... Okay, I'm sorry. Once again, <laughs> it's been a while since we read this. I think what happens is that Delphi is trying to use the Time Turner to go back to the beginning to just kill Harry Potter. Um, they're all... Scorpius and Albus go with her and they break the time turner in the process and they're stuck in 1981. Right. Uh, so what they do is they cannot stop the death of uh, uh, the parents, but they, uh, they mark on Harry's blanket where they are because Harry gave that blanket to Albus in an attempt to make a truce. And Albus is not impressed with the gift of a baby blanket because James got an invisibility cloak. <laughs> Right. Which is a total middle-born thing to be like, right? Like, your right. older brother gets an invisibility cloak and you get a stupid baby blanket. Like, right. they don't care that – like, you that don't this, care when yeah. you're 14 that it's sentimental. <laughs> yeah. You don't care that it's like, yeah, one of these things was given to me by my father and it was helpful in, like, in the war and stuff. But this other thing is literally the only thing I have for my mother at all. So, um, yeah. Which, you know – in hindsight, like as an adult, you're like, well, which of those would I take? Uh, I don't know. An invisibility cloak is pretty useful. But, um, but uh, yeah, the blanket's a big deal. The blanket is like the most precious thing he owns. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. And it's, it's basically, it's de- not basically, it is absolutely Albus not taking the olive branch from Harry yeah. when, when he refuses it. But he's still angry at that point, right? He still thinks right. they can save Cedric and the parents are refusing on purpose to save Cedric, even though it's a thing you could totally do. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and so uh, that, that's just, yeah, he's, he's still angry. But then it, it becomes the solution, right? And that's how uh, they figure it out. And I forget how the adults travel back in time. There's another time turner. So, so what happens is that they're talking about the time tr- turner and Draco has been left in the dark way too many times as yes. all this has been happening because he's been with them trying to figure out what's going on with the kids. And they tell him and he's like, oh, so as it turns out, I have actually been hiding the time turner because <laughs> my father is the one who got them to make the time turner. And he wouldn't have been happy with this stupid, you know, limit on how long you could stay back there before it snaps back. So this is the real one. This is the powerful one. And it turns out that, so in the background this whole time, we've had all these politics going where people are like yelling about the Ministry of Magic for keeping a time turner, you know, uh, despite destroying all the other ones, because how dare you? And it turns out that the whole reason they were doing it is because they're pretty sure that there had to be another one where this came from. And they wanted to have it just in case. Mm -hmm. Um, 
So, uh, and it turns out they were right because Draco had one and they used that one, uh, which is like the, the super powerful one that doesn't have any limits to it. And, and they take they Draco go. with them back in yes. time and they don't want to. <laughs> uh, no. cause once again, they still have their childhood mistrust of Draco. Um, in some ways they haven't grown beyond that. Right. Although is it, it's right before this that I think Harry and Draco be- begin to bond, right? Right. So over their so missing ha- sons. <laughs> yeah. So Hale- so Harry, I think, is kind of okay with it, but the others are definitely not. Right. Um, I mean, Hermione did once punch Draco. So. <laughs> yeah, I uh, mean, to be fair, he deserved it. Yes. So. <laughs> so I. But this is the beginning of that that bond and uh, they go back in time to save their kids and so they uh, go to godrick's hollow which harry's never witnessed before well that's not true he's never witnessed as a conscious adult before and and they delphi um wants to stop voldemort right that's her whole plan is to stop voldemort from attacking harry which would save harry's parents um right but if he doesn't attack harry none of this ever happens right uh voldemort's still around um but uh, yeah, he he doesn't get defeated the first time. Yeah, and uh, they uh, they have it's an awful choice, right? Like because you cannot save Harry's parents. Yeah, it's like I, he they have to let his parents die in order for everything to go as it should be, and basically basically to stop messing with the timeline. And and I think that's what Albus and Scorpius learn, right? Like they're trying to save Cedric because they think things are that simple. Uh, and they think that Harry's being selfish by not doing that when he's got the ability to, when in this case, they finally get to see, no, 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 he wouldn't even save his parents because it's not right. Right. <laughs> like, and because you, you'd never understand how it's going to affect the timeline. He might save his parents and lose the world. Right. And you know, that's just not, it's not okay. Uh, so in the end, what they end up doing is impersonating Voldemort <laughs> to get Delphi to come to them. Cause she just wants to meet her dad who she's never right. met. Um, which Harry understands, right? Uh, and uh, they end up uh, trapping her, killing her. I, I really don't remember how it goes. But um, should they stop her, and then they go back to the future, and everything is fine. Well, so there's a significant point here where Harry's when Harry's scar began hurting, um, he got the ability to uh, he got parcel tongue back, yeah, which never really which makes doesn't sense. Make sense. Because Voldemort still wasn't around, so Voldemort's I don't... not inside him anymore. The reason why right. Harry could speak Parcel Tongue was because he was a Horcrux, right? And the Horcrux has been broken. Like that's yeah. why he died in the first place. It's why he didn't really die is because the Horcrux was killed instead of him. Yeah, so, so... Th- that doesn't make any sense. The fact that Harry's scar starts hurting him, and the fact that uh, Harry can speak Parcel Tongue does not make sense. Yeah, it's basically the only reason for that is I don't. You know, I don't know. I don't know that there is a reason for that. There's not a reason. Uh, I mean, it helps a little bit in the final scene because it makes it so that Harry is the person who gets to impersonate Voldemort, um, which I guess it probably should have been anyways because he's the only person who like faced him face to face anyways. He's the only uh, one of them who understands Voldemort. He's seen Voldemort's entire life, right? Yeah, he's seen his entire life. He's literally looked through his eyes, you know, um, so, but the, yeah, the parcel tongue thing didn't make any sense at all. Um, anyways, uh, yeah, that whole thing happens. They, they all get back and then he brings Albus to Cedric's grave, um, which, which 
Albus didn't know, he regularly visits so he can apologize. And that's pretty go. Pretty good. Um, yeah, I mean, in the end, we end up with Albus and Harry kind of understanding each other a bit more. Well, it's hard not to bond after you watch your dad watch his parents die. Yes. <laughs> like, um, uh, which is which is what happens, right? And so everyone learns their lesson. Scorpius and Albus get to continue being friends. Draco is now part of the club he never got to be part of before. Um, yeah. And uh, uh, I'm not going to say everyone's okay, <laughs> but uh, they, they've all learned something, except maybe Jenny, who was right all along. <laughs> yeah. But uh, uh, that's the mom's the- prerogative, right? Well, it's the Civil War uh, thing, and she's like the, the Black Widow of this book. Yeah. Or play. So... Um, yeah, so let's, uh, I, I guess now that we've kind of covered the story and how people have changed in it, like you wanted to have a larger discussion on what what is canon yes. and who decides on it. So uh, yeah, start us off on that. So I guess the question here is reading this book, I enjoyed this book. I thought it was fun. I read it in like two nights, you know, not not two days. We're talking like, you know, really quickly, like evenings after work. Yeah, I think um, it took me two sessions to read it as well. It's a very quick read. It was fun. I really enjoy Scorpius. I really enjoy uh, his and Albus's relationship. I, I enjoyed all the Draco Harry stuff. And even though the time travel offended me on a basic level, the time travel causal stuff, uh, I still enjoyed it and thought it was a fun read. And if this was a piece of fan fiction, I'd be like, okay, that was fun. Uh, I wouldn't bookmark it. It's not the greatest piece of fan fiction, uh, but it's, it's decent. Uh, but JK Rowling has come out and said, we are to accept this as Canon, uh, which uh, Canon for, I guess those who don't know is a word that comes from religious terminology, which is, you know, what books of the Bible do we consider real versus, you know, the other books. And there was a whole like council and like 300, AD to determine this. And I think, you know, other religions have similar conversations. It's what, what do we consider real? What do we consider not? Uh, that has been co-opted by uh, modern uh, fandom to determine, yes. like, the Star Wars movies are canon. The Star Wars books are not, right? Um, right. Star Wars is weird, though, because it has levels of canon. Uh, so it might be comics that actually kind of originated this discussion. Yeah, what, what is canonical and what's not. Like, I, I mean, even the, the DC and Marvel comics... They very much have they have non canonical comics that they'll like say outright like hey this is an Elseworlds story or right. a what if story this does not hit like actually apply to the main line right so and, and then stuff that is in canon every writer after that theoretically has to uh, accommodate uh, uh, they don't always but technically they're supposed to um, comics are really bad about ignoring canon uh, and then getting mad that fans are mad that they ignored canon but comics are a huge beast right harry potter is seven books it's kind of when it's seven books it's kind of hard to argue about what is canon or not you're like no the seven books are canon but then uh jk rowling came out with pottermore and she's like everything that's on pottermore is canon uh and then you know the story gets written by i seriously doubt jk rowling uh, this by, one? Yes. It says I, I think, based on an original new story by J.K. Rowling, but I question that. It's my understanding that she did write the base story and then they wrote the, like, specific. Essentially, the same thing as, you know, she's 
she writ, wrote like the basic story and maybe even the first draft of the screenplay for the upcoming movie. But um, yeah, it's written by. It, 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 they credit John Tiffany and Jack Thorne at the same level as J.K. Rowling on this book. So yeah. I I don't know. I don't know um, if J.K. Rowling believes Hermione would become a curmudgeonly old lady. Who knows? Um, but uh, there's the question of at like when J.K. Rowling did that interview where she said she didn't think Ron and Hermione should be together. You know, and, but, but she didn't say that it was a canonical thing. She's like, but this is they are, and that's the way it, it goes. But my gut says that it was something to the extent of if I could go back, maybe I would change it. Right. But, but the not, question is: so. Is this story canon? Do I need to accept Harry Potter and the Cursed Child as canon? Uh, okay. So who decides what is canon? So for me, I would say that we probably disagree on this. I'm going to say that, yes, J.K. Rowling does actually be, get to be the arbiter of this. Um, and I would say reluctantly so, as someone who very much does not like the Star Wars prequels, but has, after begrudgingly being one of those fans who is like, well, they don't exist, and yada, 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 and I'm going to stick with the with the extended, or the you know Star Wars EU and all that, after a while, someone did... You know, someone kind of brought me around and it wasn't it was just eventually I started to I accepted that, you know what, whether I like it or not, Lucas, you know, Lucas did get to decide what the canon was and he decided these prequels are there and I'm stuck with them as being canon. Like I cannot enjoy them. I cannot bother to rewatch them. But in my mind, they are canonical, even if I don't think they're good. And uh, and all the other stuff. I mean, now, of course, Disney gets that power for over Star Wars and so on. But um, but I, I'm going to go ahead and say that I do think the creator and or rights holder gets to decide what's canonical. And it is up to if they if they use that power to ruin their IP, then that's what they do. But it's still what's canonical. Um, so, yeah. so I was never one of those people who didn't accept the prequels as canonical. <laughs> <laughs> so it's interesting because we come at it from different, you know, kind of different different origin points origin points because i always thought of them as poorly executed canon uh which is that the story is canon it's just been poorly executed on screen um and uh it maybe wasn't what i preferred to happen but it, it still made sense most of the time uh and i i guess my struggle with this story is that it's not a novel it's in a completely different medium. Uh, and, and I have the same question about the upcoming movie, right? Uh, at what point does canon cross media? Uh, you know, the, the Avengers movies are not in the same canon as the comic books. Uh, I never really thought the Star Wars books were in the same canon as the movies because they're completely different media and they're, you know, written by different people and influenced by different people. And, and I feel like this is the same level of thing. This is not something that J.K. Rowling had sole control over um, as much as she might like to think that. Uh, yeah. And, you know, who knows what the next draft of this is going to be like if the actors affected what version, what lines were said, because that happens too. Um and uh, in a play, almost every version of it could be slightly different in how it's said and how it's executed. And I, I just don't know if I put this at the same level as the books or if I'm putting this more at a level of Star Wars books. 
Well, so in my mind, though, I think about this, um, like, uh, you know, well, A, you know, how do you feel about Star Wars Episode Seven? Like, that's canonical, right? Even though yeah. Lucas's control is completely gone now. But it's it's a movie. Yeah, that's true. It's the same um, but, media. But, I mean, that addresses the, like, in terms of the who's in control is, is different there. But then, I, you know, I guess I've been exposed to a lot growing up. I mean, I have multiple video game series where, I mean, like, the Mass Effect video game series is, is a good example. Uh, and that's not really when I was growing up. That was during college uh, and a little beyond. But, you know, that's three core games um, plus, like, an iPhone game that I don't think you can even play anymore because it doesn't work anymore. Um, but plus several comics and several novels, and they're all canonical. And some of the novels are bad, like really bad, but they're still canonical. Um, but and are they really? Different authors. Yeah, they totally are. Like they, they do, um, you know, some of them came out between the games and they reference the events in the, no uh, in the games. That like, doesn't necessarily make something canonical. Well, they're canonical because, like, the company who produces this thing, thing said, like, hey, look, this is what happened to this character between these two points. Like, this is what – if you want to understand this character's motives, this is their story. And when they mention details here or there that line that, uh, in one of the games, they totally line up, um, even if they're badly written and some individual details clearly are written by people who don't understand the series as much as some of the fans. Um, the overall – arc of like what the overall events are are canonical and like granted you can you know it, i mean if you think about it too when you have canonical stories sometimes they'll retcon within within the canon they'll change how how in a detail actually uh sure how a detail actually is viewed but it doesn't really change that the original was canonical it's just like hey we're gonna we're gonna change in practice what this detail actually meant or and so on and it doesn't remove the entire prior work from canon you know so I, I think that canon, as works like this grow, they in, it inherently gets messy, and we just have to deal with the fact, uh, deal with that, um, and and we just yeah we just got to deal, um, but because uh, it's just it's not clean, and even I mean even if you look in the original novels, like there are there are contradictions or little things that don't make a lot of sense in them. Oh um, sure, there's the whole fourth book, uh, order the parents come out of the wand issue, right. But that doesn't change that the first book, even though the details are, are, you know, or whatever, when we first find out about it, it doesn't mean that one of those books is not canonical or anything. It's just like, okay, you no, got she some She actually you fixed that in later editions. We just don't have those later editions. <laughs> right. Um, so, yeah. So that's that, that thing where I, I think that, you know, if we go down the, the path where we start to try to find these other lines, then all of a sudden it brings all of the work into question. And eh, I, don't I just don't agree with that. I don't agree with that, I though. Don't. This is, I mean, this is a completely different media. It's written by different people. This is not a movie, right? Where there's, movies have multiple creators. They always have. It doesn't matter if George Lucas said he was the creator. It Look at, look at A New Hope. It has like five people credited for different things. You know, director, oh, yeah. actors. You know, the actors do actively change the movies, right? They're, you know, Han Solo is Harrison Ford, <laughs> You know, James Bond's slightly different, right? There, there's a different... And James Bond, you can argue till the cows come home what's canon, because James Bond movies actively, you know, don't make sense in the same universe as each other. Um, I would say there's no canon in James Bond. I would say yeah, James Bond's no kind either. of like a comic book in a lot of ways. Um, but, you know, the original seven novels are a set of seven novels, and... Uh, it's 
I've even read series that are continued by other authors that have better understanding and continuity than this. Uh, so, you know, and, and maybe it's just me being dissatisfied with the story. Maybe it's me having read this story done better online for free. Uh, you know, may, maybe it's just because uh, J.K. Rowling keeps adding to her world on the internet in a weird way that not everyone has access to or wants to have access to and uh, trying to retcon stuff in essays and interviews instead of in actual written words. Uh, but, you know, uh, I, I don't know, you know, it is Albus Dumbledore gay. I choose to accept he's gay. I think it makes the Grindelwald storyline make a lot of sense, but it's never stated in any story. Does something an author says in an interview make it canon? And I would say no. Um, <laughs> uh, I would say that, like, well, and I, I guess I would say no, because really, it, it's also not a thing that matters in terms of the story. Like, if it's said explicitly in the story, great, but, like, it just hasn't come up in the story. Yeah, I, mean, I, would I say think that it if, makes the backstory with Grindelwald make a lot more sense. It does. But, but at the same time, like if if say he said uh, uh, if she if she says something in an interview that contradicts something in the story, well, the thing that's in the story takes precedence. Right. Is um, that true, though? It, I mean, if so, you're saying how is an interview different from this play? I would say an interview is an impromptu kind of moment. It's sort of like. So what's what, an what's bouncing essay around in your head. on Pottermore? Well, the essays on Pottermore are not impromptu. They've got editors. They've got all kinds of stuff like. I think there's the the knowledge of the weight of what you're putting out there, like the fact that you're going into it believing, it, like uh, the fact that she's she has said. Well, in, I in think advance, it's been acknowledged on Pottermore that Dumbledore is gay. Well, then then it is. Then if it's been acknowledged on Pottermore, then it is. So, like, and I guess that's the thing is essentially like she's not saying, "Hey, everything I say in an interview needs to be canonical," but she is saying the things on Pottermore are, and she's written them much more in that vein. Like, uh, it's almost like the, um, the Silmarillion as an extended work of the Lord of the Rings, you know, where it's like, here's all this background information, go read it. You know, it's like that totally is canonical for the Lord of the Rings. And, um, and I feel like Pottermore is an extension of that. It's essentially her piecing together a sort of an encyclopedia of Harry Potter's universe, um, background. So, I don't know. I, I basically feel like create creator written work or creator produced work is canonical if the creator says so, <laughs> and otherwise isn't. Um, and I think that some of the discomfort too is you think about all this new media stuff we have, like this weird pieced together online uh, stuff that is Pottermore is very different from when we would before just get more books from someone. But that's not the avenue they've taken. And, and they have done a thing where I think there are three really small um, collections of stories from Pottermore that are available as ebooks in case somebody doesn't want to just hunt them around for free on Pottermore. Then you can uh, you can actually pay like $2.99 for the Kindle versions or for the e ebook versions and read them on your e-reader of choice. Yeah, I'd rather so. not hunt around Pottermore. I tried Pottermore when it first came out and was not impressed. <laughs> uh, it's gotten better. Um but it's still messy. Like I have a bookmark folder of the stories I haven't gotten around to that I probably won't. I, I probably will end up just buying those eBooks of collections so I can just read them through. Um, but uh, I don't know. I I basically there are things that I I wish were different in the actual main stories, and that's going to extend to this 
greater stuff, but uh, I also am choosing to be engaged by all the stuff she's adding, like the the name of the American school that they have that was founded in like the 1600s, uh, was it Ilvermorny and so on, and I'm like, you know what, since JK says so, it's it's canon. And I can I can choose to at some point just stop caring about the additions and just recognize that they exist, but just not care. I think that's um, the point where I'm getting to. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> Which, I mean, isn't to say, I, I guess I'm at the point where it's not that I don't enjoy the new stuff. It's that I view it as fan fiction. It's not real. And, you know, that's, it doesn't affect how I view the original series. And I don't want it to. And, you know, Ilvermorny, or whatever it's called, is uh, uh, an interesting interpretation of how J.K. Rowling thinks America works. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, <laughs> I, I wonder at this point if she's ever even visited America. I know she has. But I'm like, okay, J.K., you uh, have only ever been to certain portions of America, haven't you? Because <laughs> let me tell you about what people in New Mexico would not be doing, sending their children to New England for school. <laughs> this is a true statement. Even in six, <laughs> especially in the 1600s. Okay. Uh, so I, I, also, that's a really, really, really far trip compared to people from all over the UK sending them to. Yeah, you know, and I mean, I guess you know, theoretically, things like the flu network have always been around. So as long as that exists, you're okay. And I'm really not sure how far you can operate in Harry Potter, but I didn't get the impression it was super far. I didn't think you could operate across the world. Um, so I, I, I buy that wizards at least have a faster means of travel, even in, you know, the 1600s, but 1600s, New Mexico was, uh, not owned by Britain. Yeah. And actively not owned by Britain. And like <laughs> the people who were here would never have gone to a British school. Uh, not to mention most of them would have been native Americans who would never have gone to a British school. <laughs> uh, well, so they actually have some of that in there. Did you read all the background for Elder yes. Morning? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think they address some of that, that it's not a British, like it's a person from over there, but is has very distinctly that, that's left. That's like saying Yale is not a British school, okay? Yeah. <laughs> I, you know, there are British colonies and things created by the British colonies, and you cannot escape from the fact that they are British. As opposed to something created by the Spanish, or I mean, just look at Louisiana compared to the rest of the nation. It's still different because of France. Yeah, they, they have they don't have counties. They they have um, parishes. Like you know th these I think things. That's also true in like Pennsylvania. Is it? But, um, huh. Yeah. I'll have to so. ask my friend from Pennsylvania. Uh, it, it might not be parishes. It might be, but it's not counties. I think it's something else. Um, Pennsylvania is an interesting place. They yes. they have a lot of uh, differing uh, viewpoints in one state. But uh, maybe they do have counties, but they also have townships. It could and be. I don't really know what townships are. Or so. maybe that's related to the Amish, because there's a large Amish community in Pennsylvania. But regardless, anyways, <laughs> also the Amish <laughs> would not be sending their kids <laughs> to this school. Uh, but uh, yeah, so I, I think there's a lot of interesting things and discussions to be had in Harry Potter. Uh, I just, uh, yeah. Um, I, I just find this story's time travel problematic uh, and a, a poor interpretation of the characters. And what am I to do with it if I'm to believe J.K. Rowling thinks less of Cedric Diggory than I do? <laughs> so, uh, and I guess that in the end, what the way my takeaway with this is that the overall story is canonical. All this stuff happened, but 
thankfully those alternate timelines ended up not happening because but it says something about Cedric's character. Am I to believe that Cedric, yeah. like I, I now have to believe if this is Canon, that Cedric really truly cared what people thought about him. And that was scorchingly more important than anything else in his life. Well, and so, and I, I think this is where, uh, to me, headcanon comes into place, because it's like, okay, when I'm stuck with a piece of canon I don't like, then I try to come up with a way to make it make sense. So, for instance, in this case, it'd be like, you know what, the fact is, we're, we're seeing this from the perspective of the characters who are in the play, so they could be missing a whole lot of things. Like, that embarrassment of Cedric could actually set some other characters into motion doing some other things that then eventually have some terrible impact on Cedric. And maybe they don't have the whole story. You know, they, there could be a whole bunch of other things going in. And and I will, I won't do that for fan fiction, but I will do that for something that I feel like is, you know. Fan fiction makes a lot more effort to make things make sense than this did. <laughs> because they have to, <laughs> right? Because they don't have that, that, uh, they, they don't the have the authority with which to just say, yeah, the luxury of of authority. So, um, yeah, but in this case, that is very much uh, like I will sit there and I will try and find ways to make it potentially make sense to come up with things that we haven't seen or that we didn't see in the background that make it work. Um, yeah, that Ron destroyed Hermione's soul by dating someone else. Yeah, well, and and that could be it. Maybe some other event happened you know, that lined up that we just didn't hear about because they don't know that it was consequential, but a bunch of different things lined up. And again, I mean, I'm with you and that I don't think that that's how, how things would turn out, but I'm not going to argue with JK. So I would just be like, you know, maybe you should flesh out some details and make this more believable and uh, that sort of thing. And it's the kind of thing where I feel like given sufficient effort and added background, you could make it eventually believable. Um and so I'm just uh, sort of assume that that work could be done. And therefore, you know, in my hypothetical um, headcanon has been done. And I just don't know what it is. So, yeah, I'm willing to give it a pass. I will basically accept as canon anything the creator says is canon. And I might accept it as canon in a way that just makes me think less of the creator. But, I'll, uh, <laughs> uh, but I will still accept it. So. Uh... At what point does Dune stop being canon? Uh, I mean, I think it's all canon. I just don't care about it anymore. That's, that is exactly, <laughs> like, I, I really liked the original Dune. I think that you should read the the books that take place after it. But, eh, like they, but they also make it. I think Dune as a standalone book is better than Dune as a part of the, a series. Um, and then that's true of the prequel stuff too. Like all that stuff is fun and to some degree until I burnt out and couldn't read any more of it. But, uh, but it does actually diminish the original book as its own work. Um, it makes it a worse book if it, when it's part of a series and I just have accepted that, but you know, it is all Canon and it is their place, whether I like it or not to make it worse. <laughs> so. Yep. Well, I choose to not accept it as Canon. <laughs> That's fine. <laughs> and uh, I don't know if I'll accept the new movie as canon, because to me, uh, I, I'm not sure I can accept canons that cross media. Uh, that I feel like that's just a line. Um, like, even though I bought, you know, the new Bloodlines Star Wars book, and even though it's been said it's canon, I don't really accept it as canon. Uh, it doesn't matter. It's not a movie. Um, and in Star Wars, books have always been lesser canon than movies. And for Harry Potter, I feel like novels are the higher canon. Uh, and The Cursed Child is not a novel. 
So, you know, it's just the way it goes sometimes. I think that the, when canon really comes into question is when the, they've actually produced two conflicting works. So in this case, the movies and the books. And it's like, well, I think clearly the books are canon and the movies are alternate takes. Yeah. But Yeah, the movies are definitely not canon. And, and that's the question of the new movie, right? Whose timeline does it exist in? Uh, yeah. Or are they going to write it in such a way where it really would fit in both equally? Yeah. You know? and, and we don't know. And uh, uh, We'll find out. And, and the books and movies are pretty different. Uh, yeah. especially in their take on Ron, right? The movies just assassinate Ron's character. Um, yeah, Ron, Ron loses most of his value. Yeah. And as someone who all, already is not a huge Ron fan um, in, the, in the books, uh, as we talked about at length a couple of years ago. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But, uh, and you know I love uh, Ron. But he, he loses the value that he does have in, largely in the movies. So. Yep. Um, well, I think, uh, I think we've wrap this up so um uh you can follow us uh, uh you can follow us more at uh, triviallycrucial.com you can follow me at twitter at uh auhim that's a-u-h-i-m and you can follow mandy at brown underscore aja because uh <laughs> i feel like we could talk forever on this topic and oh, of canon good. and so on <laughs> and uh, we should probably not so um next time you guys uh, we'll have some other topic, and until then, uh, enjoy. <laughs>